we've been working on uh, the four questions, um, and we're going to keep going through that, and that is, uh, what does God reasonably, I added this uh, adjective, I just got to think about this the other day, uh, what does God reasonably expect from me? What is, what is reasonable? What, what is within the realm you know, of reason? I, I think expectation or expecting, that's kind of an interesting idea in 2018, I I wrote a couple of notes here to say, I said, one of the great things about New Year's is the sense of expectation. That we have a new year in front of us. We've lived long enough to know that we can reasonably expect some things. You know, I mean, reasonably. So I wrote down here, I, I, can, I think I can lose the five pounds I gained over the holidays by spring break. Or Halloween. <laughs> I'm trying to be reasonable here, right? Yeah. You know, uh, uh, I'm going to pay off one credit card by next Labor Day. Or by the next solar eclipse. <laughs> and that's silly. You know, we could reasonably expect to say, maybe, maybe this year I'm going to read the Bible four out of seven days this week. You know, some of the data I read about frequency of reading the Bible is, in many places, it's like two days a week. And so, you know, maybe in 2018, you could reasonably expect to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to set a goal or I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to reasonably expect that I'm going to read the Bible four out of seven days in the coming year. I'm going to join a small group this year to help me grow in my relationship with others and following Jesus. You know, some reasonable kind of things. I mean, we've all set stupid, unreasonable goals in 2018. I mean, not 20, I mean, in years before. And hopefully we've learned to say, well, let's set some, some reasonable goals. Let's set some things that we might actually have a possibility of meeting. And so what is it that would be reasonable for us to believe that God would expect of us in 2018 or at any time in our life. Uh, we, we can look at this from the standpoint, I'm going to ask you to turn to Mark chapter 1. Go to your table of contents. That's in the front of your Bible. That's where all the chapters are, all of the books are. You know, I, I told you the, you know, before I've gotten lost in the Old Testament before and just had to hang down on it right there and just sit there and not read along with the preacher. But here we are in Mark, it's 950. And we're going to look at this passage we've kind of used as our point of reference. Uh, Jesus' first sermon. Jesus' first sermon uh, when he began his ministry. And here is kind of the basis or the springboard, if you will, that I've used uh, to understand to say, what is it that God reasonably expects from us? And so we find that in, John, in Mark 1.14. It says, now after John had been taken into custody... Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he was going along by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers and he began to speak to them about following him. Now, I want you to look at this where Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Now, we've worked through this in, in some measure uh, last year, and we're uh, discussing this in the matter of repentance. And I'll give you just a little review here again. Repentance, again, means to change the mind, to, to have a different mindset. And I'm suggesting that that different mindset is who's in charge? Who's in charge of my life? Who, who is directing me? Who is guiding me? Repentance isn't crying. It isn't promising. It isn't making all kinds of things. It's really coming to the point of saying, I've, my mind has changed about who's in charge or in control of my life. Sort of like when you get married, you decide your wife. You know, that The idea there, okay, we're going to change our mind here. 
uh, th this idea of changing life. So Jesus said, repent. We discussed it. Then he says, believe in the gospel. Believe. And that means to put your trust in and confidence. And if you're interested, we've recorded these. They're on the website uh, under uh, uh, the teachings. Uh, that, that that idea of repent and then believe and what that means. I said, and I, this is kind of my idea. I, I've not read it anywhere else necessarily. But I've suggested that what God reasonably believes, reasonably expects from us is that as we repent, change our mind about who's in charge, and believe in the gospel, believe in someone other than ourselves, that what that really is, if you will, is embracing our creaturely status. That, that idea has at least helped me to understand that why would a person repent and change their mind about who's in charge? Because they know someone else greater is. Or why would someone believe in someone or something else? Because it's a greater and better object. And in my judgment, that means we are embracing our creaturely status. We're not God. You know, I, that was a shock to me when I discovered that at the center of the universe, I wasn't there. You know, and, and we all kind of have that same jolting experience, don't we? When we realize the world does not revolve around me. You know, it doesn't, doesn't have that feature. And so I want to look at this today again as we face this new year. Now, in this idea of embracing our creaturely status, I want to look at on your outline here, why Jesus expects this response. Why Jesus, we're looking at it. Why Jesus expects this response. Notice, if you will, there when it says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, this response of repent and believe, embrace your creaturely status, why is that? I think, you know, as I've studied history and as I've studied the time of the ancient, uh, the ancient world, that I'm, I'm suggesting that when Jesus said these words, the ears of everybody there perked up. The time is fulfilled. Now, what would that cause people to remember? It might cause them to remember Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. That there's a kingdom that will never end. In Daniel, in the Babylonian exile, when he prophesied, or, had, or Nebuchadnezzar had the dream, the weeks of 70 weeks, now there's all kinds of discussion here about what this means. But Jesus uses a very packed up word here when he says, when Daniel had said back before, when the time is fulfilled, when the 70 weeks are fulfilled and the kingdom of God comes. This is what's so radically different. The Jews thought a physical operational kingdom was coming with soldiers and kings and warriors, and that's how they missed it. Jesus says, the reason you should repent and believe is because the time is fulfilled. It's filled up. The Greek word pleireo here means what the time capsule, if you will, is now filled. That could change the way you and I look at reality, and it could change the way we even look at the end times as to whether or not the kingdom of God is actually here. Now. <laughs> not simply some future event that Jesus says, you need to change your mind, Cliff, or the people that are listening, because the time is fulfilled. And I'm suggesting you might want to think about that Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7 might have some real connection here that caused a ruckus in that part of the world to say, what do you mean the time is fulfilled? The second thing here is why Jesus expects this, because he says the kingdom's here. 
It's here. The Greek word, it's interesting what it says. The kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, some translations uh, will say the word is near. It's the Greek word in goose. And, uh, you know, if I walk in the classroom, and I will next week, it, you know, I'll go back to, to my job and, and working with students. And I, if I ever say, hey, uh, the test is at hand. Do they think it's coming in a week or two? What do they think? Uh-oh. Should have read the syllabus, right? <laughs> yeah. I tell them that. I say, check the syllabus. It's here. And, and, and so Jesus, this is why you repent and why you believe, because the kingdom, and let me give you a translation here of this word. I'm, I'm suggesting this. The kingdom of God is the effective rule of God. The kingdom of God is not just some idea. It's wherever the effective rule of God is occurring. Wherever God is ruling, wherever God is directing, wherever God is guiding, that's the kingdom. This again, I say my suggestion that has some of my theological principle or theological beliefs that the kingdom's here. Uh, and I told you before that, uh, you know, it, it's a funny thing or an interesting thing that in Jesus' day, if you started talking about the kingdom of God and you decided you were going to follow that, you might be dead by supper. Because there was another king who took it kind of personal. You know, Caesar. He wasn't too excited about hearing about other kingdoms uh, showing up. And so Jesus expects this response, if you will, because the time is fulfilled, the kingdom. I think there's another piece here, and I'll, I'll move on. There's another piece, the time is fulfilled. There are two other passages you can go look at related to this. And it is Ezekiel 36, 26 and Jeremiah 31, 31. Ezekiel 36, 26, and Jeremiah 31, 31. And this idea, if you will, is the fulfillment, the time is fulfilled, that there's a new agreement between God and man. In both of those passages, the scripture says, I'm going to have a new covenant, that's the word agreement, I'm going to have a new agreement, not like the old one. I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to write my laws on your heart, and I'm going to give you of my spirit. And this new covenant will not be like the one your fathers had, where he says to everyone, know the Lord yourself. This idea of fulfillment is there's not only a kingdom here, but a covenant. There's a new agreement. There's a new way that God is relating to his people. And so this is why I would suggest that Jesus is saying, you should accept your creaturely status. You should embrace that because, if you will, the kingdom's here. Now, what, you'll notice here, what Jesus are, expects our response to be. What Jesus expects it to be. Pretty clear uh, here in this passage. It's two words, two, two, two verbs. Repent, change your mind about who's in charge, and believe. And not just believe in some generic sense, but believe what? Notice there what it says there in verse 15. Believe what? In the gospel. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time, but I was reflecting on this, thinking about this. Is there a difference? I'd be interested in what you think. Is there a difference in believing in something or believing about something? Is there? Can you give me an example? Or... Just, I'm trying to get you involved here a little bit. I could come down there and walk around now if you're not careful. <laughs> I'll come back to this corner over here. We've, 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 yeah. 
Becky's over there in the introvert corner. I told him I'll call him out. <laughs> call him out by name. Yeah. What, 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 what's the difference in believing in something or believing about something? <clears throat> huh? Okay, you believe it's out there, but you, right, you don't, you don't trust it, you don't, okay, what, good, what, 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 what is the distinct, I think, you know, the Bible is pretty, I think, it's important to take seriously the terms and words that are used there, to believe in something as just about, yeah, Susan. You missed, yeah. you missed Sunday school a couple weeks ago, didn't you? <laughs> See, we have ways of finding out. So, uh, Susan, where were you a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I, in fact, I'm sitting here thinking, I just... I just deleted that picture in the PowerPoint presentation. And I'm thinking, oh, man, what? Yeah, it's actually Blondine, who was a tightrope walker from France that did that at Niagara Falls. So, yeah, well, how many? How many? <clears throat> well, we know Susan wasn't here. So. <laughs> Thank you, though. That, you're right. Believing about it, I believe you can do it. But I'm not getting in it. Right, right. Yeah. Yes. Intimacy, trust in. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is the this is the response to believe in, not just about. Yes. Oh, the object, right? It's the object. What What are you trusting in? We'll tell you, as we've said a couple of times, that the the word faith or belief or tr trust is sometimes translated always has a preposition to believe in. Faith always has to have that object that's reliable. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? That Jesus says, don't believe about the gospel. Believe in it. And, and that's the response that he calls for. It's, it really is the response of saying, if there really is a kingdom and a king and a ruler, um, there, there, are, there has to be some kind of response. This can't be... Just some reality that's here and it doesn't have anything to do with what we're doing. It, it, it's, this, it's this response of repent. Change your mind about who's in charge and believe, look, and trust in another object other than yourself. I, I was doing some journaling the other day when I had a little time off and, and uh, I, I just, I've been wrestling with this and I'm sure nobody else does, but I've been wrestling with how much uh, at times when things get a little shaky, you're going, does my trust go to me or does it go to God? Had a situation happen where over the holiday where something happened and I was immediately about to get engaged with I was going to fix this, <laughs> you know, because I'm a guy. <laughs> and I just sensed the presence of the Spirit say to me, stop, trust 
me. Stop it. Right now. Stop. And I did. I don't always. But this trust in the gospel. I love this hymn. You know, I sang it, sang it to my dad the last few minutes of his life. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. That means feelings. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. My hope is I'm, I'm trusting in. And so, so this response. So this is then, again, as I've said before, I kind of got ahead of myself there. Is embracing my creaturely stuff. I tell you, this, this idea for me is a, finally, there's sort of a relief that's been happening in my life for the last few months. Do you, do you ever get uptight trying to control everything and try to make everything happen the way you think it should? Nah, you don't ever do that, do you? Y'all are Christians. Some of you. Some of you come to Sunday school regularly. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that the idea of, of sort of settling in, maybe I'm just a slow learner. I told somebody the other day I'm old too soon and smart too late, you know, that, that I'm just kind of starting to settle in in the comfort that comes from saying, God, I got to trust you. I, you know, I, I mean, I've got to trust, not from the sense like, oh man, I got, it's, I've recognized my creaturely status. I've got to trust you. I mean, it's silly to make me, for me to think I can control this or fix this or, 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 or do this thing in a way that it's going to get where I want it to be. I've done some journaling about that. Maybe, maybe you could think about that. So, so this idea of embracing my creaturely status. I'm, I'm going to hurry along here. Now, I've got a couple ideas here, and I want to unpack this. So what does... What does this look like? So how does one embrace the creaturely status? It, Jesus said, repent and believe. Now, we're on the believe part. We finished, um, we finished um, the repent. As I was reflecting on this and thinking about this, I thought, what else did Jesus say in terms of me embracing my creaturely status, in terms of, if you will, of, of me believing in the gospel? And here they are. I'm going to maybe do two today. I don't know. I've got several. But how do you embrace your creaturely status is this. Come to me. This. Uh, open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 11. Go to your table of contents or use your tablet or get off Facebook there just for a minute. And then <clears throat> I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. No. Nine fifteen. Uh, in In Matthew. As I was thinking about this, I thought, what does it mean to believe in the gospel? Um, and the words kept ringing in my ear. Come to me. I, I don't know. I, I kept just hearing, come to me. You know, I, I, I probably have told you before, I'm sort of a person that, by my Myers-Briggs sorter, I'm an ENTP, and so I, I have to make sense out of everything. I just have to. And, and it's got to be principled, and it has to be A, B, little Roman numeral one, little Roman numeral two, you know, C, D, little Roman numeral one, indent number three. I mean, I just, I, I have to have that kind of order. Uh, and my tendency, my tendency 
as a human being. As, you know, it wasn't before I be, it, it was before I became a Christian and after it does, this doesn't have anything to do with spirituality. Is I tend to make everything a principle instead of it being personal. I don't know if anybody else does that. I have this tendency to, to come to the Christian faith instead of Jesus. To believe a certain theological system instead of come to Jesus. To, 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 to uh, adhere to a denominational loyalty, perhaps, or a, a baptismal methodology. I have all those kind of things. I've, you know, I've got all those principles and ideas. And, and over the years, principally, because of the National Prayer Breakfast years ago, I realized I, I, I really tend to move away from the personal. And when Jesus says, come to me, that's not in my wheelhouse. Come to me. Look, look, he says here. Come to me. If you have faith, if you've embraced your creaturely status and said, you know what? I'm a creature. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Don't come to church. Now, listen, I know there's a balance here. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to be careful here. But I'm guessing there are probably people like me that get tied up in principles and tied up in truths and tied up in concepts and get tied up like, like the great, um, the great uh, writer. I'm stalling for a second. The great writer. Um, <laughs> Y'all just talk among yourselves a second. Oh, I got to go see the doctor again. I know I'm not getting a shot. The guy who wrote, I got him now, Brother Lawrence. He said, it is much better, it's much better to more value for you to walk and live in humility than to be able to expertly explain the Trinity. See, that's that personal side of it. Maybe able to explain the Trinity, maybe able to explain the depths of Christian teaching, but not the humility and the sense of, of dependence on God. Jesus said, and I'm just hearing this for 2018, come to me. Come to me, Cliff. How, how many of you sometimes come to your devotions? I've got to read my Bible and pray before I go, you know. That's what we decided is good Christian stuff. I've come to my devotions before. Never come to Jesus. It may shock you. I've come to church before and never met him. I've come to church before. And, and never come to Jesus. I've, uh, I've been involved in all kinds of Christian things and all kinds of explanations at times, not always. But if I believe in the gospel, if, I, if I've embraced my creaturely status, it's not just coming to these accoutrements or these things about the Christian life, but to come to Jesus. It's kind of wrecked my prayer life. 
I used to have a really nice structure. <laughs> it was very good. One of my youth one time said in our church back in Louisiana, they said, Cliff, you're a fun person in a structured sort of way. <laughs> it's just the way I roll. <laughs> Come to me. Is, are you doing that? Are, you know, are you, are you where you kind of drop all the things of religion and all that kind of stuff and just say, Jesus, I'm just coming to you. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't have any preconceived notions. I don't know if I'm going to feel anything or not feel anything. I don't know if there's anything here at all in terms of what's going to happen. But I want to come to you. I, I just want to let that lay, get in your head, in your heart. As soon as I started working through this about what does it mean to believe in the gospel, it means there's someone I can come to. Not a principle, not a, hey, now what, what, what principle will work here? What theological idea do I need to embrace here? What, how do I need to, to think this through in terms of the, the systematic theology thing here? I can do that. I do it. But how about just lay that down, Cliff, and just say, Jesus, I need you. I'm just coming to you. Move in. Need to come to Jesus. She's saying the world's got it figured out. We need to come to Jesus meeting. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Getting right to it. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I've prayed this. I know this sounds probably unspiritual, but I'm an old guy, so I remember all this stuff in the past. <clears throat> and I pray this prayer almost every day. Uh, and I've been doing it for year, uh, several years, and I, I, I just commend it to you. It comes from uh, the, the play or the musical Godspell. Y'all remember that? Some of y'all? Now, some of us went to churches that if we ever admitted that, we're going to hell, all right? Right? So, yeah, I know some of us, yeah. But there's a line in there. Well, I, can't, uh, I can't remember the exact song, but I remember these, these words. That I would see you more clearly. Love you more dearly. And follow you more nearly day by day. That's the song, day by day. <laughs> Just remember. Th think about that. Come to Jesus. I want to see you. I'm serious. Now, this, I'm serious. Now, this is my prayer. I, I got a little structure here. So, you know, got to have some structure. I can't go. I just can't go harebrain on it. But to say, help me see you more clearly. See you. Not what should I do, not how should I live, not what does my church tell me, but if I could see you more clearly, I will love you more dearly. And I'll follow you more nearly. Come to me. Just come. And, I, and so I just lay that out to Jesus on a regular basis. Look, I need to see you more clearly. I, there, this is not just learning new ideas or getting concepts. I just need to see you more clearly. Maybe I'm talking, I, you know, I hadn't had class this week, so my brain is, I wrote my journal yesterday too. I'm doing something else. Maybe y'all don't want to know all this. Maybe I'm talking to me. I don't know. Leave me alone. Here we go. <laughs> but one of the things 
you know, I, I do. I, it's a crazy thing because I'm an old guy. I think in terms of theological ideas and scriptures and hymns. For some of you are younger, I'll explain it to you what that means later. It's not a her, it's a him. Nah, it's a dumb. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, I've got in my journal now, I'm working through this. I'm saying because of my tendency not to come to Jesus and really see him and, and really reflect on him. This great hymn by Charles Wesley. And can it be that I should gain an entrance in my Savior's blood. Died he for me who caused him pain to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? I wrote in my journal this. My view of God's love is too human. It's too limited. It's not amazing. not I bet I bet you got some of this when something bad happens to people do you ever think in your head ah well see they got what was coming to them it's because we don't see God's love as amazing come to me come to me now here here's what he says when you come to me take my yoke and learn okay Chris Chris has talked about this and taught so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this but as you know, in the ancient world, these, you know, big oxen or big what, cattle or, you know, whatever, these yokes are these wooden things that go across an animal and they stick their head and there's a loop. And they get in that and they start pulling wagons or plows. And it was often the case that when a young oxen or a young animal had to be, or, you know, you put a don't, you put anything in there. Your older brother, if you want to, but you, know, you 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 put those in there, and and when 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 people heard the word yoke in Jesus' day, it was associated with something. The law. They said at bar mitzvah, they 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 willingly took upon themselves the yoke of mitzvah, the yoke. I'm going to get. In the harness, if you will, that's kind of what we think. I'm going to get in the yoke. of. So the law was always understood as the yoke that you were bound to and bound with and bound by. Jesus takes that imagery over and says, hey, take on me as the yoke, not the law. You follow me. You're not going to have any problems here. He takes this imagery over to say, take my yoke on you. And what's interesting is they would typically, in this imagery, they would have an older, experienced animal that pulls and put a younger one beside it to learn. Jesus is saying, come on, get in this yoke with me and you can learn. That's what it says. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn of me. Watch me. Listen to me. Be involved with me. Not a bunch of rules, not a bunch of regulations. Just get with me. And take that yoke and learn of me. And you'll find rest. Notice that this thing goes a couple of times. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke and learn of me. And I'm gentle and humble in heart. 
you'll find rest for your soul. You know what? Again, it's come back to this embrace your creaturely status. When you finally get in the yoke, when we get in the yoke and we let Jesus, we come to him, we can quit trying to control things. That's rest. Or I can finally say, look, I'm, I'm following you. I'm with you as much as I know here. I'm learning of you. And you'll find rest shows up twice in this passage. Jerry? He's saying, you know, sometimes in that yoke, we, we may have to be going places that we would not choose, you know. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later in another one, but I, I, because one of the things I think is we have to talk about what I call love-fueled obedience. See, it's one thing to obey Jesus by just gritting your teeth. It's one thing. And a lot of us have done that. We don't want to go. We don't want to do it. We just grit in our teeth. There's another, there's another thing where the obedience, even, you know, I wouldn't choose to go over here, but because of my love, it's fueled by love. We've all done that with your kids, with your family. You did things, you know, you wouldn't have chosen, you know, but you went or you did. Why? Because love called for it. I don't want to get to the idea that, that this idea of in this yoke that we're just going to go to places chomping and gritting our teeth and saying, well, at least I get to go to heaven. <laughs> right? This is terrible and man, I hate it. But I'm going to heaven before it's all over. Well, that, that seems to me, that's why I want to discuss this love-fueled obedience or love-fueled following. It's got to be the fuel for that. But you're right. I think it is. And, and, and with the sense of coming to Jesus to say, I'm going to learn from you, and, and you know better than I. Well, you can look at that. Chris is taught on that. So I, mean, I want to give you one more on this come to me. I'm just fascinated in the New Testament where this phrase, when Jesus says, come to me, come to me. In John 7, by the way, if you're on the 21-day uh, excursion of reading the Gospel of John, what chapter are you in today? All right, so somebody tell me what this is. <laughs> yeah, go to John. Go to John chapter 7. Hadn't read it yet. In John chapter 7, Jesus makes a similar statement. In verse 37... He says, now on the last day of the great day of the feast, this is the feast where they pour out the water in this great ceremony of God's providing water in the, in the wilderness. When on the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. You thirsty? Your soul have a thirst and a hunger? Come to me. Don't try four principles for spiritual growth. Don't try a new book that gives you some methodology. He's saying, come to me. I got what you need. This is, again, Jesus' statement. Come to me. He said this, and let him drink. 
And he said, he who believes in me, as the scripture says, from the innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Now, Jesus spoke of this, of the spirit of those who believed were yet to receive, for the spirit had not yet been given. Here, look. Come to me. Come to me to learn. That's Matthew 11. Come to me to be empowered. Here it is right here. The Holy Spirit. Notice what he says. This he spoke of, the Holy Spirit, who was to be given to those who believe. He who believes, the scripture says, to those who believe. I think that one of the things that we sometimes forget is when we believe in Jesus. I've told my students at the university, I'm going to do a better job this year. We need to talk more about the gift that Jesus gives us of the Holy Spirit. Or the Christian life gets lived out here instead of in here. Jesus says, if you're thirsty, Cliff, you come to me. And I'll give you living water. I'll give you water from the innermost being will spring up in your soul. He said, this is going to happen because the Holy Spirit's going to be given when I'm glory. That's already happened. You know, people, I I grew up in a tradition, I'll just tell you, and this... This church is part of that tradition where there was some teaching in Nazarene churches and others like that about this idea that you get, when you get saved, you get Jesus, and later some sanctification, you get the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever heard that? No. When you put your faith and you come to Jesus, He gives you this gift of the internal presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why in the epistles, there is never any calling for people to get the Holy Spirit. Just notice that. In all the epistles, nowhere does Paul say, well, your problem is you don't have the Spirit. What the challenge is for us to live out and walk out what's already in us, the Spirit of God. He's already there. You just have to live in faith and trust and say, you know what? You're there. I trust you. Well, let's go. So this idea of come to me. Come to me and drink. Now, here, here's the interesting. Notice this. Who's going to come to Jesus for that kind of water? What does it say there? Verse 37. Anyone, what? Who's thirsty. Our problem, our problem, we're not thirsty. I said before a few weeks ago, it's a real challenge, I think, for most of us to find and figure out a reason that we need God in our life. It's hard. It's hard to figure that out. I mean, I, I've got a job. i got a car. i got a wife that mows the yard. You know, <clears throat> I'm set. And does plumbing on the side. A little bit. You know, I've got health care. I've, I've got all kinds of stuff. What in the world do I need God for? I want to tell you to you again. You want to figure this out? You want to increase your sense of need for the Holy Spirit in 2018? I got it right here. I dare you to get involved with real people who have real problems in ministry. I dare you. You want to get pressed out of your resources and your wisdom and inability? Just get involved with real people who have real problems in real ministry. By the way, we got a bunch of them around here. <laughs> Some of y'all. No. <laughs> right? 
you, you've insulated yourself. You've insulated yourself. You're, you're not around people that have real problems. You're, you're not around people that have real issues. Now, I'm not saying that, some of you are. I mean, you know, it could be your own family that you're, that you're trying to minister to. But, but you're not thirsty. I'm not thirsty because we don't need anything. I told you this a hundred times. You're probably getting sick of it. But it's the truth. It's your inadequacy that creates your capacity for God to work in your life. It's when you get inadequate. It's your inadequacy that creates your capacity for God to work. You know that. You know that. Get a, get a diagnosis of cancer someday and see how much you think you need God then. Lose your job. Get your 401k wiped out by someone. Figure out how much you need God then, right? Have a child that twists off into some area that you can't fix and you can't, and, and, and see how much you need God then. We insulate ourselves. We're not thirsty. You know, I, I, I wrote, and again, I wrote my, boy, y'all to find it, all my journal. I better be careful here. Y'all might read that. You already read my journal. <laughs> I've been teaching for 26 years on the 13th. And I've noticed, maybe in the last few years, couple, three, four years, I'm not praying as much for my students. You know why? I've taught all these classes. I, I tell them I'm in the 23rd grade. If you want to mess with me. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm adequate. I, they're not going to ask a question I haven't already thought of. They're not that smart. No. <laughs> They're not going to press me out on something. I've, I've taught this stuff over and over and over and I've reworked like that. I looked at it, I thought, why are you not, you know why you're not praying for your students, Cliff, as much as you have or need to? You're not thirsty. You think you're going to get this done. You want to get involved with real people, real problems? It's called ministry. We got lots of opportunities for you. Okay, <clears throat> now I want to end with this here in just a second. I got to do this, or it'll be crazy. So this idea of come to me, come to me twice, twice in this morning. My mind started working like this to think. Okay, this idea of coming to Jesus. I've already I've already confessed to you that that I sometimes come short of Him by adopting a theological system. Or by adopting certain behaviors, like a, you know, a devotional life in the morning thinks a good idea. But you can do that and still not come to Jesus. I think it's a great idea to have your own theology worked out. I do. I've got it worked out. I love it. I like to read. I think that's an important thing. But you can still have that and not get to Jesus. You can come to church, you know, because you're wanting to go to Earl's later or something. You, know? you come to church and you can... You can, you can come to church and go through the motions and stand up and sit down and clap like a trained seal, you know, whatever. That's a dumb thing to say, Cliff. <laughs> I'm just saying, you just go through the routine. You don't come to Jesus. So this idea, so the thought came to me coming short. Coming that way. So I've got some things on your hand out here. This just the way. Here's where I think it's possible, and we may not get done because this, this, 
well, I was working through this, and I thought, okay, this is really where I want to get at. We can come short. You know, let me give you an example. Anybody play golf in here that will repent of that? <laughs> in the 2013 Masters Tournament, Angel Cabrera was tied with Adam Scott for the Masters, you know, thing. I'm a real golfer, as you can tell. <laughs> I don't like to play, but I, I don't really, but I like people to ask me, so I feel involved, but I say, nope, not going to play. But I really am offended when they don't ask me. It really hurts my feelings. So Cabrera and Scott are, and, and, and Cabrera comes short of the hole on that last putt, and it cost him $576,000 in winnings. Now, so, sometimes coming short of something isn't going to be that dramatic. But here's an example where he putted it, but he came short. Here's an example, again, where we go to church, we read our Bible, but do we come short? And here, here's my concern. We come short when we substitute activity for attachment. And when I use the word attachment, I mean personal attachment. You, you may know this verse. I'll, I'll quote it to you. You can go read it. But Jesus makes this statement. When he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, in the kingdom of, enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. And many will on that day say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name? Did we not preach in your name? And I will turn to them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Listen. Americans are afflicted with this, particularly seems like when I travel around the world. We substitute activity for attachment. We're busy, and we think being busy means we're being holy. Jesus said there are going to be people who were busy. This, this, I'm telling you, this verse keeps me awake at night. I think there are Bible professors in this group here. Cast out devils, preached in your name, performed miracles. He said, I never knew you. What? How can that happen? Because we put activity above attachment. Does that make sense? Jesus says the thing that's going to count here is not how much did you do, but did you and I know each other? I never knew you. Second one. We come short when we substitute ritual for relationship. S similar idea. In Acts chapter 8, there's the story of Simon the magician who um, sees Philip and these guys preaching and, and, and all. And he, it says, believed and was baptized by Philip. Now, there's some question there. Is that Philip the apostle or Philip Nicor? You know, there's several Philips around there. Either way, he's baptized uh, by, 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 by the leader there in, this, in, the, in the Samaritan revival. You go read this, that after that, the Holy Spirit had not been bestowed apparently in Samaria. So they bring Peter and, Paul, uh, Peter and James down and they lay hands on them. A lot of theologians say that this is because God wants to replicate what happened in Jerusalem to the Samaritans. Remember how they hated the Samaritans? They really wanted to make a big show here. Hey, the Holy Spirit is for Samaritans too. And so Simon is 
there and he sees that and he says to Peter, hey, I'll pay you money if you'll give me that power. You ought to go read this later when Peter says, your silver and your gold perish with you for you are still in the gall of bitterness and pray. Now this is where it's tricky. Somehow God can forgive the intention of your heart. Baptized by an apostle in a great revival outbreak. You come short. If you think just that ritual is going to cut it. We got to come to Jesus. Third. <clears throat> this is uh, substituting the sign for the substance. The sign for the substance. This is in 2 Timothy 3. You can read this uh, where, where Paul is talking, writing about uh, that there are people who have the form of godliness but deny its power. I use this for my students. You know why? I tell them, uh, for years, uh, after Becky and I got married, I had a ring, a wedding ring. It was gold, and I had a friend who was a jeweler, and um, uh, it, my finger started breaking out, you know, bubble. probably don't want all that detail, but cracking. And all that. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm an extreme kind of person. I thought, you know what? If there's some bacteria there, here's what I'll do. I put my hand in a bucket of bleach with an open sore. Yow. <clears throat> I thought my fingernail was going to fall off. But, but it would so, so I quit wearing a ring. Quit wearing a ring. So I went to seminary uh, some years ago, and uh, it was surprising to me how many single people were there. I thought it would be a bunch of old people like me, you know. And so Becky said, I want you to wear a ring. Why? She goes, I want people to know you're taken. I said, not a lot of people after this, dear. <laughs> Just Relax. I'm telling you, not a lot of people here, you know, just really coming. I really said that to her. And, and then I remember saying this to her. Listen, if I don't act like a married man, this isn't going to do anything. Okay? This is the sign. The substance is my commitment and faithfulness to Becky. See, when you have the form of godliness, but deny the power. We come short. When Jesus says, come to me, come to me. Don't substitute just some sign for some. Okay, I got to do the last one. I'll let you out here. Hey, you've been off two weeks. You can give me three, four more minutes, okay? <laughs> last one. This is a really good one. We substitute Scripture for the Savior. Heard a guy say this uh, years ago. I believe in the inerrant, inspired Word of God. And his name is Jesus. <laughs> In this John chapter 5, there's some Gentiles who want to come see Jesus. And you know, I love the Bible. I trust it. I, I know it's God's word. It's God's record of Jesus. You, I, don't, I don't think you can really know Jesus if you don't study the Bible. I mean, how are you going to find out about him? So I'm not denigrating the Bible, but here's what Jesus said. There were these Gentiles who came to see him, and, and, and then Jesus said this to the religious leaders. You search the scriptures. That sounds like a good thing. Huh? You search the scriptures because you think that in them, the scriptures, you have eternal life. 
But it is these, the scripture, that testify about me, but you won't come to me. Think about that. They've substituted the scriptures for the Savior. That if the scriptures don't bring us to closer communion or awareness, if it becomes a place where we argue with people or we want to fight over a theological idea or we have some idea, I'm getting smarter, I'm, I, I know this stuff, instead of saying, how does this stuff lead me to the Savior? Jesus said, hey, life is not in here. Think about that. You search the scriptures because you think in these you have eternal life. But it's these that testify about me, but you won't come to me that I might give you life. You can do that, can't you? I've done it. I've done it where I've violated the very Savior of the Scriptures because I wanted to argue with somebody or I wanted to prove a point. And the very Savior that I say the Scriptures talk about would have to say, Cliff, you're not representing me here. We, we come short. So here's, here, here's my application for you this week. What if you meditate on Matthew 11, 28, 30, or John 7, 37 for five minutes each night before you go to bed and see what God might impress on your heart about these matters? And here's what I want you to hear for 2018. Come to me. I want you to hear Jesus saying that to you. If you can meditate on these passages and if you can spend some time alone, but each night, you know, for this week, just say, I want to hear you say to me, come to me. Let's not come short of coming to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, this new year, we think we can reasonably expect to hear you tell us, come to me. It may mean we've got to quiet our hearts. It may mean that we've got to talk to some friends. It may mean we've got to find a new way of kind of doing some things in life. But we want to hear those words. Come to me. Help us, guide us, protect us from error or extreme. As we continue to Learn how that we might come to you. In Jesus' strong name I pray. Amen.